that we're in week two of this uh, series made for more. And I, I really have a heavy burden to prepare you for what God has for you. I, I say this every single week. And that's my job. And today we're going to talk about something that I believe we're going to need in order to fulfill God's purpose, and that is unity. 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 Rick James' voice. Um, unity is going to be important. I think too many times we individualize our relationship with the Lord. Um, there's no such thing as a personal relationship with God. Can I tell you that? And I don't mean to say, let me just rephrase that. There's no such thing as only having a personal relationship with God. If you don't have a corporate relationship with God, you don't have a personal relationship with God. If there are not other people that you are worshiping God with, if there are not other people that you are praying with, if there are not other people that you are believing with, if there are not other people that you're breaking bread with, you don't have a thriving relationship with God. It's impossible to have a relationship with God and not have a relationship with God's people. It is theologically impossible. It is biblically impossible. But unity is the hardest thing to achieve, specifically in the church. And Christ knew this because as I was doing a Bible study, and, and one of the things, if you really want to interpret uh, God's word, just to give you a free thing that I used to do for years and now that I don't, I never read a passage of scripture and say, what is it saying to me? This is why I don't think that um, there's a popular thing called SOAP, where it's scripture, observation, application, and prayer. I think 50% of the time, minimum, you will get the wrong interpretation from scripture if you use that method, and I'm not here to knock what people do, but I'm saying you can do that, but I want you to start this. Start with a word study. Look up every place in the Bible where it says the word unity, because if you don't, then you can't get a broader context of what God was trying to say. God typically repeats himself. And so what I've been doing in my sermons is that I don't preach a message about this unity and I haven't read every verse in the Bible about unity. Because as I read every verse in the Bible about unity, then I'm able to have a greater uh, picture of what God is, wants to say about unity. When you read the Bible, you need to know not first what God is saying to you, but what was God trying to say to the people he said it to and how does that apply to me? Not just me directly, you get some real bad interpretations. For example, when Peter stepped out of the boat, I've had so many people come up to me and said I was reading when Peter stepped out of the boat and the Lord told me it's time to step out of the boat so I quit my job. That's not what that means. There's no, that doesn't mean quit your job. Now, could God tell you to quit your job? Sure, but God, that's not what that means. So Peter was not stepping out on the boat because he believed he could walk on water. People, Peter believed that if God commanded him to walk on water, then he could walk on water. So if you are not, if you don't believe in the power of God's commandments, then you cannot step out of any proverbial boat in your life. What else has God commanded? So the proper interpretation was like, wow, if you command me, look up everything on what God does when he commands people to do it, and then you can get a broader interpretation. And so for me, I've been thinking about this verse in unity, and I, I know it's really difficult and really hard specifically to unify Christians. Like, did you know that we like, out of all religions, we say we have the right one, but there is no other religion that has as many denominations, sex, crews, sections and crews and, and all these different things. I think there's thousands and thousands of different Christian religions and they were all started because we couldn't get on the same page about what we believe. Jesus wasn't enough and now could church need to be on Saturday? 
or is church on Sunday? Do we have to wear suits or do we not? Do we want like, uh, you know, liturgy and, and like, like just, just communion every Sunday or not? Like, and we started arguing over different things. And so then we started churches. There are people starting churches all the time, but there, a lot of people aren't starting churches because God told them to start a church. They're starting church so they can do a church the way they want to do church because they don't have the humility to be under someone else and do church their way. So they started church and you got 80,000 churches all over the city with, with 70 people in them and 50 people in them, but the pastor gets to be in charge and do church. And what, what if those churches all got together and reached the city and then we'd have 18,000 lead pastors? I would love to be under a great leader, to be honest. I think it's more fruitful for all of us to do church. Do you know what would happen in Los Angeles if we were all one church? But you know how hard it would be? You know how hard that would be for us to all be one? Because we couldn't agree on anything. There are things right now that I say in our church. There are people who thought our office video was sacrilegious. Well, whoa, I, I wouldn't. How dare we come into the presence of the Lord and laugh? <laughs> are you, you sinner, you just laughed. Like, church doesn't have to be boring. There are people who believe that if you operate in the gifts of the Spirit, that all those gifts have ceased, that the Holy Spirit isn't doing anything new. It's just the Word, and that's a lie. But it's not that just the fact that it's a lie, but if you do that, they act like there's something wrong with you. If you believe God heals, it's like, oh, shoot, like you. Whew. And then we believe, we believe bad about them. I, I posted this yesterday. I said, hey, if you spend your time criticizing and judging pastors who you deem to be critical and judgmental, you should go to the same church as them because you are more alike than you think. Isn't that weird how we can criticize and judge critical and judgmental people? Oh my gosh, I can't stand them. They are so critical. What, what did you think you just did? And so we move further and further away from unity and we find people who look like us. And I'm not talking about diversity. Diversity is a social construct. Unity is a spirit construct. So just because we're diverse doesn't mean we're unified. I, I'm not a person who would fight for diversity, to be honest. And I say that as a black man, because diversity has social power. Unity has spiritual power. When you walk in unified, Gangs don't worry about being diverse. You can unify around the color red and ruin a neighborhood. If we, ruin not, if, we, if, we, if we unified around the color red but the blood of Jesus, we could change a neighborhood. But, I don't, but we're so busy diversifying things that we don't realize that that doesn't mean we're unified. We want black representation, women representation, Christian representation, and all that stuff is important on a social construct, but it does not activate the favor of God. And so how do I figure out how to be unified with those who don't look like me? I mean, Dodger Stadium is diverse, but they're not united. They're just diverse. And we need, hear, hear what I'm saying and hear what I'm not saying. What I'm saying is, is that we've replaced social constructs with spirit ones. As long as it's diverse, it doesn't matter if we're unified. As long as it's equal, it doesn't matter that someone's being exalted. We, we need to understand the power of unity as a church. 
and understand that I think it means more to God if a room like this got unified because God knows we all come from different walks of life. We all come from different backgrounds. What if God wants to use Oasis as an example of the power of unity? What happens if people got together with one mind and one heart? Jesus prayed this in John 17. He said, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. This is verse nine. All who are mine belong to you and you have given them to me. So they bring me glory. So they bring me glory. This is important that you understand that our job is to come together so God gets the glory. That's why any social construct that doesn't give God glory doesn't work. It doesn't work. It'll work for a season, but it doesn't work. Now I'm departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I'm coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Protect them so that they would have unity. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that no one was lost except the, the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. He's talking about Judas. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, hey, everybody you gave me is here. He held himself accountable that they were all together. And verse 13 says, he says, now I'm coming to you. I told them world so that they would be filled with joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. I could stop right there, but I will get lost in this sermon. He said, don't take them out of it, but they're not of it. He says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Wait a minute. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. What was Jesus sent into the world to do? Save. Not teach. Save. Do you know that Jesus didn't have a single biblical conversation with someone that wasn't from Israel? All he did was heal. All he did was, so he primarily worked on his people. We're here to work on us so that when we go into the world, we are vessels of salvation and then the Holy Spirit works on them. So the church is supposed to be like Jesus sent into the world. Notice he didn't say the Holy Spirit. You know what the Holy Spirit is? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And I believe that our biggest mistake, what we have to unify around is some churches think that they're the spirit of truth to the world. And some churches think they're the spirit of grace to the world. Jesus came full of both, but he didn't say, sanctify the world by your truth. He said, sanctify my disciples by your truth. And then when they're walking in the truth, I can send them into the world. So I want you to understand this, that God is sending you into that space that you were called to. And one of the mistakes that we make is we make the God's will our personal desire. And so then we're willing to do anything to get it. And God's like, no, I'm going to sanctify you by the truth of my word and I'm gonna send you in that space 
as a representative of me, just as I sent Jesus into the world, I'm going to send you into that school. I'm going to send you into that job. I'm going to send you into that career. And he says, I've given myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. He says, I'm not praying only for these disciples, but also for all those who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus at this moment was praying for you and me. You know how profound that is? And he says this, what is he praying for? I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I pray that they may be one. Not only do we have denominations, I mean, but we, the church is more segregated than ever before. And I get that, but we got black church, we got Hispanic church, we got Korean church, we got all kind of, somebody, like, we got Middle Eastern church, like, we just divide the church into these sections where we don't have to sit down and talk about it. There's churches where there's just mostly white, and he's like, I don't, I don't pray that they would all just know me, I pray that they'd be one. One means united, in such harmony with our Christ-likeness that we're the same more than we're different. That's what that word unity means. It means that we are alike in the nature of God. We have to be so much like Jesus that to be honest with you, we're more Christ-like than we are African-American. We're more Christ-like than we're white. Like you even got these names, white evangelical. What, what in the world is that? But the black church, the white evangelical, like, and we say this stuff like it's normal. Like, and God's like, wait a minute. In my word, it says son, daughter. That's it. Some of my kids are light-skinned. Some of my kids are Julian. I love them all the same. Don't divide us. Don't put a title on my uniqueness and destroy my unity. I want you to acknowledge your uniqueness. Hear what I'm saying. I can't stand when people say I don't see color. Yes, you do. You trying to tell me you don't see Wesley Snipes? <laughs> Compared to, I don't see color. Yes, you do. I, I just don't see color. I never see color. I just look at the heart and the soul. You know you see color, man. Don't say that. I'm not saying we don't acknowledge our uniqueness, but we don't stop at our uniqueness and build crews and tribes around that specific uniqueness. This is good stuff, man. Because we won't be one. And I, listen, when I was growing up in junior high, I was militant. I wore Africa things around my, um, Af Africa pendants around my neck. Like we would protest history class. That ain't. That's his story. That ain't my story. And some of that stuff, man, they leave some of that stuff out. I read Malcolm X autobiography four times. You know what I said when I was 15 years old? I said, I will never marry outside my race. <laughs> never. You know, I said that because I felt like there were so many black fathers out there that didn't, that didn't have that. And I, I, I thought I was doing a disservice because I was just trying to achieve something. And although some of that has a place, I believe 
in the power of the black family. But I'm saying once you become a pastor, once you become a Christian, then you just marry who God tells you to marry. And you don't get to put. So when I met my wife, I said, the Holy Spirit said, tell her she's white, but that's all right. The Holy Spirit likes to rhyme when he speaks to me because I used to be a rapper. So he always rhymes when he talks to me. It's how we connect. But I think if we make choices based off our uniqueness, sometimes you have to sacrifice your uniqueness in order to achieve unity. You really do. If you're going to run a successful business, I promise you, you can't have people in the conference table that all think like you and look like you. You will not. You got to bring somebody to the table. Every company has a Bob in accounting. Every, every company. We need Bob in accounting. We might not, Bob is super detailed and you're super visionary, but we need that person who had that different background. You need that person. You need that person who thinks different than you. And you need to be walking in unity because diversity means we don't have to honor their differences. Diversity means that they're in the room, but deep down we wish they were more like us. Is there anybody who you wish thought like you, <laughs> looked like you, acted like you? That, that, that's a wisdom. You don't wish that they were like you. I've been wishing people were like me for 35 years. I'm done. I don't wish you were like me anymore. This is something that's new. I'm, I've only been here about two weeks. And Lord... I've been doing good for two weeks. Before that, what's wrong with you? Why don't you think the way that I think? If you're a liberal, you look at conservatives like, what's wrong with these people? And if you're conservative, you look at liberals. And we make money criticizing people who don't think like us. And Jesus is like, man, I would just wish they were one. I wish they were one. He says, I have given them, this is verse 22, and if you don't remember any other verse, think about Jesus saying this, I have given them the glory you gave me. Whoa. I've given them the glory you've given me? That, that's, that's the full manifestation of God's goodness. You want to talk about being made for favor? He's saying, I'm going to give you the full manifestation of my goodness so that you may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience, someone say experience, such perfect unity, perfect unity. You know what perfect means in the Greek? It means perfect. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Wait a minute. Not may they experience such perfect theology, perfect biblical understanding that the world will know the truth. The truth. The world needs to know. No, no, no. He didn't say that. He said their theology might be a little off. That doesn't mean I'm affirming that theology, but I want them to experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me. We always talk about preaching the gospel and sharing God's word, but if I'm being honest, have you ever, it's like a family 
going to adopt a kid and arguing the whole time in front of the social worker. Imagine a social worker feeling a little uncomfortable putting that kid in your home if you show up to the social worker. Like, where little Johnny at? Girl, how many times I told you, wait, did you pay the bill? No, I didn't pay the bill. I told you to pay the bill. But how come I, well, I make all the money. Well, you the one to have me all the home all the time with the kids, and now you want me to pay the bill? And social workers going to be like, whoa. I, I think little Johnny might be better off an orphan than having you as a dad, because all y'all do is fight. And they've seen enough fighting. That's why they're here. So if y'all don't start to get along, if y'all don't start to be in unity, why would I put my other kids in your house? So we post about other pastors and the way that they view the world and other Christians, and then we want people to come to church. And God's like, I don't want people to come to church, I want people to go home. Heaven is home. And this is like, this is like a rental property that God owns. This is not the point. Heaven is the point. And like, this is a fan, every Sunday is a family meeting. And everything you say about other Christian, you guys, I'm so concerned. I'm so concerned. Even a mass shooter walked in a, a Christian school and killed a bunch of people who were Christians. And the compassion for these people didn't seem to be as high as it would have been if it were me. Because at the end of the day, I think we've been hurt by each other in the church and everybody's trying to figure, but you guys, we, we gotta do better. We gotta come together. We gotta allow the spirit to set aside our uniqueness so that we would achieve unity. This is crazy and really difficult. But I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 1.10, and this is Paul. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Harmony. You know what harmony is? When the worship team sings, don't they sound amazing? You know why they sound like that? Because they had a conversation about what key they're singing in. If somebody's singing in A, and somebody singing in D, although they know the lyrics, although they know the words, it ain't going to sound good. You can know the word of God, but if you don't preach the word of God in the key of kindness, then, you, then, it, then a bunch of different voices coming together just sounds like noise. And it's annoying when people aren't singing in key and in harmony. He says, I, I need you guys to have harmony with each other. And listen to this sentence. We got to put this on. Let there be no divisions in the church. None. Not, hey, that corner over there, y'all could, you know, y'all could fight if you want to. Let there be no divisions. None. What in the Bible does it appear to have a no tolerance? If you said to me right now, what do you think God has a no tolerance policy on in the church? Many of us would bring up, you got to preach the word. You got you to gotta make sure you got to preach the word with the right motives and you got to preach. No, but Paul would later say, these guys are preaching for profit. They're preaching just to make money, but thank God the gospel's being preached. Right. If I told you right now that I only did this for money, you'd be like, oh, 
I'm here, I'm here because they pay me to be here. We would gasp, but Paul goes, at least he's preaching. There seemed to be a tolerance level for it. Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church, this same church, he wrote a letter. You know what he said? Don't you know when you sleep with a prostitute, you become one with a prostitute? Why was he doing that? Because they said, I got an idea. The church needs money. Men love women. What if we put prostitutes in the temple courts and then when the men paid the prostitutes, that would raise money for the building. And Paul said, let there be no prostitutes. He didn't say that. He didn't even say it that firm. He just corrected them. Amen. Not a good idea. <laughs> See you at church next Sunday, but maybe not because you become one with a, with a prostitute. There are two things he, somebody was, some guy was sleeping with their stepmom and he said, throw him out. I searched all through 1 Corinthians. He slept with his stepmom and he said, throw that man out and hand him over to Satan. And then let there be no divisions in the church. He had a stronger word about division than he did about prostitution. But if I posted right now about how many conservative pastors I hate, many of us would go, amen. I hate him too. Or if I posted about liberal pastors and woke pastors, many of us would go, amen. I don't like him either. If I was like, yeah, man, uh, the Lord told me to chill out with the prostitutes. <gasps> Just told me to stop. You'd be like, well, you need to stop more than that. You need to stop preaching. You need to stop this. But we allow ourselves to preach with the vision in the church. And we don't take it as strongly as that. Let there be none. And I'm not endorsing sins, but I'm saying when Jesus was praying in John 17, he prayed for unity, and maybe if we had unity, we would just sin less. Somebody say that part. Listen to this, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. I'm about to break it down. Somebody say, break it down, pastor. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. different is that he's putting a bunch of things in the same category, and I think what we see in the world are some of them, and what we see in the church are the others. Because we go, yeah, no sexual immorality, yep, amen. Lustful pleasures, no, no, none of that. Idolatry, nope, none of that. Sorcery, I hate witchcraft too. Hostility, oh. Come on, anybody been a little spicy to someone this week? Make some noise. Come on, you better clap. Be humble. You been a little spicy? Sorry, I just like to tell them straight. No, 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 no. That's hostility. And we give ourselves permission to do that, but because we haven't, you know, paid for, 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 for lustful pleasures in the last month, we think we're good. Because we go, there's no way God would put lustful pleasures in the same category as quarreling and jealousy. You know, I just struggle with comparison. Yeah, for 15 years. For 15 years, and you think you're better than the person that, that has on their fifth boyfriend or fifth partner, whatever, you think you're better, because all I struggle with is quarreling and jealousy. You! 
struggle with other things. No one can just tell me anything without getting defensive. But that's not as bad as what you do. No. It's right here in the same category. Outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension and division, envy, drunkenness, and the original translation said orgies. He put division in the same category as the wildest party some of y'all have never been to. And if some of you have, you're more afraid to tell that. You don't tell that story in the connect group. Come on, somebody. When it's confession time, some of y'all, you keep that. That's between you and God. Your sins are between you and God. Anybody got some sins that's between you and God? Come on, staff members. I know some of y'all sins. Y'all told me some stuff, man. I'm like, I had to I almost call HR. And then the Lord said, no, you got to forgive. You got to forgive and there's grace for him. Anybody got some sins that are between you and God? But no, he lists them all in the same category. And the church has at least half of these. But we're so worried about the ones the world has that we don't get rid of the ones that we have. Don't start a business because you're too prideful to work for somebody. That's selfish ambition. And other sins like these. Like these? And other sins like these? You put division in the same category as sorcery and orgies? Yeah, you know, orgies, crack use, division. What? If I told you I hated my brother or I hated my, a Christian pastor, and you say amen, I told you on crack, you'd be like, we got to get pastors, you want some help. If I tell you that I don't love my brother and sister Christ, you need to say the same thing, we got to get pastors some help. We've given ourselves permission not to love people. We've given ourselves permission. Our society works on this thought. In every era, we have permission to dislike or not love a certain group of people. In every era. In the 60s, it was black people. In 2000, you could look over your shoulder at 9-11 when a Middle Eastern person, nobody said anything, I get it. No, we always give ourselves permission. Right now, in LA, we have permission to be angry at, I believe, white conservatives. You can post anything about these people and nobody cares. And everybody goes, yep, amen. They're judgmental, they're this. And, and the Lord's like, Julian, you got to tell the church, this is in the same category. This is in the same category. And deep down, I haven't said it because there was a piece in me that was like, I didn't say it out loud, but I was like, yeah, you right, you right. Go get them. We say outlandish cruel criticism things and I see Christians post on the feed say it again for the people in the back no we need to post love your neighbor not say it again for the people in the back don't say it again for the people in the back don't repeat that we need unity and here's what's crazy I'm not saying people are right or people are wrong but like you guys this is out of control 
It's out of control. Four big keys to unity. Are you ready? Number one, love each other. Oh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. We do weddings. I do weddings all the time. Whatever you do, don't, don't do 1 Corinthians 13. You guys fought the whole way down here, and you don't want me to do a scripture on love? Yeah, everybody does that at the wedding. We're tired of hearing it. You don't live that way. Like, let me do 1 Corinthians 13 at the wedding. Love each other. Romans 13 says this, verse 6, verse 8. I bet you ain't read this before. Owe nothing to anyone. Say, I don't owe nobody nothing. Except your obligation to love one another. Do you know once you receive Christ's love, you owe it to his sons and daughters to love them the way you've been loved? It's a debt that you have to pay. You owe it. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. 1 John 3, verse 14 through 15 says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Listen to this strong language. Anyone who hates a brother or, or, or sister, and hate is not malice. The definition of hate in the Greek means to love less than the Lord does. It doesn't mean I can't stand you. It's not a malice, vicious word. Hate in the Bible just meant if you don't love them fully, you hate them. There is no gray area. It's not, well, I don't love them. No, if you don't love them, you hate them. There was no words in the Greek language between love and hate. There was no dislike. You either hate them or you love them. There's no in between. And hate them means you love them less than the Lord does. And it says this language. If you hate a brother or sister, you are a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. A murderer? I want you to understand, if you didn't love someone that you gave yourself an excuse not to love, Christ could come up to you and go, murderer! Well, I mean, it's not murder. I just don't like him very much. Murderer! Okay, God, you got to calm down. I just criticized them because they, I don't agree with what they're doing. Murderer! Jesus, come on, wait, stop saying that, man. Like, I'm not a murderer, I just... You know, they, they really get on my nerves. Murderer! You got to relax. You know, we, that's what he said. You're, you're killing something that God wants to be alive. And I'm sure you got a good reason, but Christ would go, you're murdered. Maybe that's the murder we need to fix first. Maybe... Maybe that's the one that we need to, do I love my neighbor? I'm telling you, man, this will change the church. Number two, if we want to walk in unity, don't be critical of others, man. Don't. Don't do it. James 1 verse 26, this is going to convict somebody because it convicted me. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. My God, let me just go to the next one because that's, that's the one that I got to work on. Number three, if we want unity, we have to have prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 15, verse 28 says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and not to us, and to us. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything above, uh, beyond the following requirements. They were trying to figure out what to do in the church about a certain issue, and they said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So they prayed. And, and there was an us and the Holy Spirit. 
Not to me, to us. It didn't say the lead pastor said this and so everybody did it. It said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. It seemed good. Oh no, I know it's the Lord. No, it seemed good. We prayed about it. We're unified. Prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit is the only way you can have unity. The fourth thing, and this is big for some of y'all who, who are doers, slow down enough to involve other people. Can I just encourage somebody today? Maybe don't slow down enough for somebody to catch up, but at least slow down enough for them to keep up. Because when you do it all yourself to get it done faster, it's always smaller. There are certain things, people that God wants to be involved. And, and, and you need to have people. When you have this big idea, if you could do it by yourself, there's no way that's God. Christ didn't start the church by himself. He went and found a bunch of, if God went and found a bunch of people to help him out, don't you? When you have a dream, something in your heart, I want you to ask yourself, who have I spoken to about this that can help me? But the enemy sends people from a very early age in your life to let you down so that you won't ask anybody for help. That's a strategy. He will make your father let you down when you're five, your mother let you down when you're 12, a boyfriend let you down when you're 16, aunties and them don't come through, so that when you have that vision at 30, he knows, the devil knows, you won't ask for help because I've sent people to give you a skewed demonic view of help. Who's gonna help you? Who's gonna help you? Look at this. We gotta slow down. Proverbs 25. Verse five, I've never read this verse in the Bible. I'm embarrassed to say that. At least I don't remember reading it. I think I've read through the Proverbs, but I've never seen this. Good planning and hard work leads to prosperity, but hasty, being too quick, leads to poverty. So sometimes it, it didn't fail because it was the wrong idea. It wasn't God. You just went too quick. You didn't slow down to get enough minds and people involved. You know, you know if you have the vision and sometimes you get so deep down into the process of executing something, you don't realize that you're just a visionary. You don't know how to do that. Or sometimes you're such a detailed person, you don't have any vision. And you got to say, you got to turn that over and have conversations with people, especially in the church. People have, God has given wisdom to, man, I'm telling you, if you do this, God will unify us together. And this is my thing. I tried to make this simple for y'all with this whole made for this thing and say, hey, I just want to unify around three things, being present, being generous, and being connected. That's it. Because I think if we're doing all three of those things, I think God can really do something crazy, really do something crazy. But if you only come once every eight weeks or you only show up once every six weeks and you could have been here, then you're missing out on these pieces of the puzzle that I believe are prophetic words of your life. I need you to be present. And, and, and the joke of the office video we filmed was really about pastors having to do a bunch of things to get people to show up. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to focus on the word and you're like, I'm going to be there. And maybe not forever, but you know if this is the season for you to be here every Sunday. You know if it's a laziness or you stayed up all night. But we got to be committed and be present because God needs you to understand and be connected to the rest of the body so he can release the favor. What I told you was a prophecy, not a prediction. Can I just clarify when I say favor? I don't mean that it's going to happen no matter what you do. That's, it's not a prediction. It's not a premonition. It's a prophecy. 
and all the and prophecy takes preparation and when you fantasize about your future more than you prepare for it you forfeit it we fantasize about what God's gonna do but we don't get ready and you have to take this moment where you say am I acknowledging that God has put this crazy pastor in my life to lead me somewhere and if that's true then you gotta be here and if it's not true then visit but you need to know that and God put someone next to you in your life that you don't even know that person could have when I came to church it wasn't Pastor Philip Pastor Philip was the reason why I showed up the reason why I grew is I met someone in the church that was sitting next to me that helped me grow and then later I met Pastor Philip I'm telling you got to be present and we got to be connected man you can't come in here and not know anybody because you got a dream that someone else needs to be praying for you got an issue that someone else in this space needs to correct you got a hope that someone else needs to invest in and pour into and and, and stoke and, and fan the gift of God into a flame in your life if you got a spark get to know someone it is your community that will fan that gift into a flame we can't beg people to get in connect groups we can't beg people to come to church and I believe that there is no powerful no more more powerful thing than generosity generosity is no joke generosity changes the lives of people yesterday I was on the golf course because my wife let me golf on a Saturday Man, show some love to my wife Christina Lowe and I bought a granola bar and some chips and a water and I was gonna leave a little generous five dollar tip like that was generous because the tip should only been a dollar twenty I counted I'm, like, I'm about to be generous I'm about to bless you with five dollars go change the world and I accidentally typed in 50 and I went to hit the sin I went to hit sin and she said oh you typed in 50 I said oh shoot and I went to delete that zero and the Lord was like why don't you just give it to her I gave her a $50 tip from a bag of chips don't clap yet because I didn't want to I didn't want to I didn't want to but she was so impacted by this she says you know nobody does this nobody does this nobody does this and that's what's wrong with Christianity people should meet Christians and go like yeah you know the last time this happened that person was a Christian we believe that God is asking us to mobilize this church into a profound place of generosity and there's something I've been praying about that I want to share with you that I believe over this next year is going to help us change Los Angeles for the better it's simply titled 321 and we are believing that 300 people for the very first time will start to give regularly every time they receive an income that they believe comes from God now mind you if you don't believe your the, the qualifications for being a part of that 300 are just two things this church has blessed you it is not religion it's not guilt it's not pressure if we have been a blessing to you and you believe God has blessed you with your income that's the qualifications of participating in 300 and it doesn't matter the amount it doesn't matter the amount so when you get your your paycheck you can say like this this 20 bucks is for the Lord if 600 people did that this is hundreds of thousands of dollars that we could give to the community if a thousand people did that so so pick an amount but make that amount consistent 
And if the Lord leads you, increase it. 300 people. There are 3,000 people who say that Oasis, 18,000 people downloaded my sermon, and we have done the numbers, about 700 people give. 18,000 people eat. 700 people wash the dishes. Does that make sense? That's a big difference. And I'm cool with that. I'll preach the gospel. This church, next year, Oasis Church will celebrate 40 years as a church. 40 years. And I can't wait for us to be some old saints sitting in the back talking about them. I mean, the old saints. We all 80, 90 years old, 100 years old. We just in the back and the young people are running this church 40 years from now. But guess what? This building that you're in was the largest church in Los Angeles 50, 60 years ago. And when we bought this building, there were eight members. Because at some point, somebody stopped being present, stopped being connected, and stopped giving. And so I believe we're believing for 300 people to, to do this. And you could just say, and what we want to do is, people have already responded, put it in the notes of your giving. Hey, I'm, I'm one of the 300. And number two, we're believing for 200 people to begin tithing regularly. The Lord speaks to you, that's 10% of the, and these are new people, new people that have never made this choice before. That's 10% of the income the Lord has blessed you with, and 100 people giving a, a one-time gift of $2,500 or more. Uh, the reason why I'm believing for this is because I think the greatest act I've seen impact our city is generosity. It really is. And you can take it off the screen and you can go to OasisLA.org for, for, for Made For More. And it's something that my wife and I do. You know, uh, we believe in the power of generosity. We really believe it. We, we live this way. I'm not asking you to do this because it's in the Bible. Um, I wish that was the reason I could give you. I'm asking you to do this because I've seen what God does in a person's life myself and my wife included, when we live this way, and I want you to get in on it. Can I be honest? Like, God gives me so much stuff because he knows that I'm a, it's going to flow out of me. And I'm like, I want my sons, to, and, I, and I'm not talking about you buy somebody a coffee. I'm talking about if you want radical increase, your generosity has got to be a little bit more radical. Like, give that something like, one of these is a stretch for you. Do it. And start with the church because it's good ground. I mean, this morning, I saw uh, uh, a friend of mine text me. His name is Joe, brother Joe Grant. And Joe reached out to me because he's hoping that a church can help him get a motorhome to live in. Joe's been living on the street in his car for six years. I met Joe outside of our old church office. And me and Joe, we love each other. Joe checks on me. He's the only homeless person I know I've ever met in my life that has my number and checks in on me, asks me if I'm good. Hey, Joe, are you good, Joe? Joe's always checking on me. How the wife, how the kids. Every time I see Joe asking for money on the freeway, I give Joe $60 every single time. That's our number. And Joe, at like clockwork, packs up his bag, stops asking for money, and goes and buys the groceries and the things that he needs. And, and, and Joe said, hey, man, I'm trying to move to Castaic and get me a motorhome. I think I'm ready to get off the streets. Joe loves me, loves our family. He said, I saw your wife at the park the other day. Me and Joe are friends. Joe texts me on my birthday, on Thanksgiving, and on Christmas. 
And it's overwhelming when you look at the homelessness in this city. But when it comes to me and Joe, I'm just doing for one what I wish I could do for everybody. But the Bible says that God will give us seed to sow that we, so we can be generous on every occasion. And you know what my burden is right now, if I'm being completely honest? I can't be generous on every occasion. There are certain organizations that need 10,000, 20,000, and we can't do it. We can do five, but I want to be able to, to just impact this city. I want to be able to take guys that are getting out of prison and have served 30 years and set them up in an apartment and set them up. I want to be able to help the foster care system. We got a guy in our church, we just paid the rent. The guy grew up in a foster care system, couldn't pay his rent, and we helped him out as a church. Y'all's giving did that. I'm tired of walking down the block and nobody knows who we are. I'm tired of people knowing who I am, but people don't know who we are. I don't want to be church famous. I don't want to be a celebrity pastor. I want Oasis Church to be famous in the city of Los Angeles. If you need something, that's where you go. I don't want my influence to outpace our generosity. And we are in danger, being honest, because I got a gift on my life. I can share the word. We're in danger than more people knowing about me than they know about us. And we cannot allow that to happen. We can't have 18,000 people watching my sermon and we didn't help 18,000 people with groceries and food and a place to live. I'm telling you, God wants to do it and he's going to open up rivers of blessing in your life to be able to do it. I want to just you to stand to your feet and I want to just have this moment where even today you would ask God, you would ask God right now, Lord, do I need to be more present? Lord, do I need to be more connected? And are you trying to bring unity around the generosity of the church? Are you trying to bring unity? I want you to ask God. Don't respond to this without asking God. Because without the Holy Spirit, it's not unity. You'll do it for a while and, and you'll back. You ask God. This is not a command. This is a suggestion. I think we all unified around this. Then we all get to experience the joy of the fruit of what we're accomplishing together. And so I want to pray for you right now. And I want you to ask yourself if there's any space where I'm not loving people, where I've allowed my uniqueness to destroy the unity that God wants to have, whether it's uniqueness of the way I see the world or the way I see the Bible, or the way I see people, am I allowing my uniqueness to destroy unity? And so, Father, we, we pray for you right now. Pray for them right now, Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit to convict and love and shape the, the thoughts and minds of your people so we will walk unified in these three areas, God. I really believe you want to do something, Lord, in, in this space, God. And I, I've, I've searched my heart, Lord. I'm not stressed, Lord. I'm not worried. Uh, this is not coming from the place of the finances. This is about the future of your sons and daughters and the, the windows of heaven that you want to open up over their lives. And Lord, even as I say that, there are only a few par parts in the Bible where there's an open heaven. And one of those things is when you went to affirm Christ, you open the heavens. And the other is in Malachi 3.10, when people committed to give, you open the heavens. And God, I believe that we're going to live under an open heaven where we will have access not just accumulation of things, but we have access to all that the Father has. And so, Lord, give your people faith. Do what only you can do and unify us together. In Jesus' name, amen.